Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have part 31 of our series on the Gospel of John. This message is entitled, Like Father, Like Son. We're going to be digging into some, some words of Jesus this morning out of John chapter 8, but also looking at the prodigal son parable from Luke 15, and kind of looking into how Jesus bears resemblance to the Father how we ourselves can bear resemblance to our Heavenly Father. Also, we got some things coming up. We just celebrated Fall for Art on Saturday night uh, this last week. It had a great turnout there, and we got a chili cook-off coming up next in a couple of weeks, so go to northshorevineyard.org to find out information on the chili cook-off and how you can be a part. Well, we're going to go ahead and head over to the talk, 525 East Boston Street, downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard Church. Thanks for listening. Well, if you were here last weekend, Zach talked to us about one of the most famous passages uh, from the, the Gospel of John, where Jesus says famously, uh, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You've heard that said before. Politicians say it. It's a, a you know, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we also learned about what Jesus meant in, 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 in this saying. It's not just knowing truth in general. It's, it's knowing Jesus' personal, relational truth that is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, the, the Pharisees were like, they respond to Jesus, they're free, what do you mean? We're, we're not slaves, we've never been slaves. And Jesus said, look, basically he's saying there's a slavery that's deeper than the slavery of Egypt or the slavery of Babylon or Rome. There's a slavery that's deeper, and it's this enslavement to sin. And the only way out of that enslavement is through the words of Jesus. Now, it's easy when we, we, we read a, a phrase like, you will know the truth, and to kind of think of it the way we think about knowing a lot of things in our culture these days. You know, I grew up in Midland, Texas, and I, I was a fan I, of New Orleans music as a teenager. I bumped into some New Orleans brass band music, and I thought, man, this stuff is great. And then at about 18 years old, I was working in the restaurant industry, and there was a, a place opened up in Midland, Texas called Bourbon Street. And I went to work there as a waiter, and they, they had all kinds of New Orleans dishes. And I thought it was pretty good. And, uh, but the reality is, I didn't really know what New Orleans was like, right? Because I was observing it from a distance. And you can't really know New Orleans until you go down to Cafe Du Monde and, and eat some beignets and drink some of that really dark chicory coffee. You can't really know New Orleans until you smell it on a Saturday morning. Uh, <laughs> after, after, or Sunday morning, after folks have been out there uh, partying on Bourbon Street, and there's a mixture of all kinds of things that uh, lead to the aroma. You can't really know New Orleans until you've had uh, a roast beef po' boy or a, a fried shrimp po' boy down in the quarter. Or muffalata. You can't really say you know New Orleans until you've heard the jazz music in the area. See, there's, there, there's, it's one thing to know facts about something, intellectual knowledge, right? I could study encyclopedias. I could, I could regurgitate all kinds of information on it. 
But until I experience it, my, my knowledge is just up here. When Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, he's talking about an experience. The, the word in Greek is, actually means to experience the truth. So Jesus isn't saying you'll know it like a tourist. You'll actually know it like a local. And that leads to freedom, freedom on the inside. Now, as with anybody that you tell, you tell them, hey, dude, you want to get free? And they don't think they're enslaved. It, it, it didn't go over real well with the Pharisees at this point. And so we see this dialogue continue with Jesus. The Pharisees are getting very defensive and accusing and they're, 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 they're insulted by Jesus. And so that's where we pick it up today in part 31. And we're going to pick up with verse 39 of John chapter 8. Abraham is our father, the Jews answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would know what Abraham did. As it is, you were looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your father, all right? We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father... You would love me, for I have come to hear from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. That, why is this language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, all right? The devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, beginning not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I'm telling you the truth. Why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Whoa now, right? The reason you hear is you don't belong to God. This is a pretty strong statements from Jesus. But what he's basically getting at is if... You were if, if you, you know, you can claim that your lineage is Abraham, but even Abraham wasn't doing the things you're doing. So you're acting like just because you were born into the right group of people at the right time that, that you have special privileges. And Jesus is saying, look, you may claim Abraham as your father. You may claim God as your fa father, but you bear no family resemblance at all. There's that old saying like father, like son, right? Or he's a chip off the old block. Uh, and, and we say that sometimes in, a, in a, a, a good way, right? You know, like, wow, you know, he's just like you. Sometimes he's like, yeah, you're a jerk just like your dad, right? <laughs> your dad was a mean old bastard and so are you. <laughs> Jesus is saying, you can claim all these things all you want, but you bear no likeness to your heavenly father. So it's just empty words. He says, you're bearing uh, the resemblance of somebody, all right, but it's a different father entirely. And so this word father comes up a whole lot here. Jesus talking about his father, the Pharisees trying to claim that they have some connection to the father. And, and I, as I was studying this passage this week, I thought, you know, it, it really there's some things here that remind me of one of the most famous parables of Jesus uh, that you can find in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. Now, this parable has been called the parable of the prodigal son uh, throughout church history, but it really ought to be called the parable of the older brother. 
Because when we see it in its context, Jesus is really answering some people that would symbolically uh, fit the uh, older brother in this parable. I want to look at Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, you, you may not think it odd today that to, to maybe go to uh, five guys and you sit down and there may be some sinners around you, but you're just interested about uh, finishing off that burger and fries yourself. But in this culture at this time, to sit down and eat with anybody was a sign of acceptance, fellowship. You're treating them like family. It wasn't something to be taken lightly. Actually, you can see in the book of Galatians, one of the big things that, that, that Paul is trying to address, one of the huge controversies of the early church was, can Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians sit down and eat at the same table? Crazy stuff, huh? I mean, it may not seem that scandalous today, but that was, the, I mean, Paul writes large chunks of the scriptures are based on that one issue. The Pharisees are upset with Jesus because he's eating with sinners. He's eating with tax collectors, people who are corrupt. And he's acting like it's okay. And so out of this conversation, Jesus hears them muttering these things, saying, you know, they're probably saying, man, if he's really a prophet, he would know who he's eating with. Come on. And Jesus answers by giving three parables. The parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable of the prodigal son, which kind of sums up his teaching. We're not going to talk about the coin or the sheep right now, but we're going to pick it up in Luke 15. And I'm just going to kind of summarize this story. We'll, we'll hit a few of the passages here. But basically, here's the story of the prodigal son. Jesus says there's, there once was a father who had two sons. And the younger one said... I want my inheritance, but can I get it now instead of waiting till you die? How many of y'all would love, you know, if you have children for them to just say, hey, that thing you're gonna, that I'm going to get when you pass away, can I go ahead and get that now? This was particularly scandalous in this culture because the, the younger son usually didn't get the, the, the share of the inheritance that the older son got. And here, this guy's saying, I want to just break all the rules, all the conventions of the time, and, and I want my inheritance, my share right now. This would be kind of similar to saying, I wish you were dead. <laughs> and the father, knowing that this kid wasn't going to go out there and probably do projects to make the world a better place with his money, says, sure, I'll give you your money. And like many young Foolish people like some of us in here. He went out and he spent his money, the whole inheritance, on wild living. It was a nonstop party. Uh, drinking, prostitutes, everybody's just getting into it. But then all of a sudden there's an economic downturn. Things go south. There's a famine in the land. And there's an old Eric Clapton song. I don't think Eric Clapton wrote it, but I, he, he recorded this about 20 years ago. And the, the words are, nobody knows you when you're down and out. As for your money, as for your friends, you haven't got any. As for your pocket, you haven't got a penny. When you get back up on your feet again, everybody wants to be your long-lost friend. 
But I can tell you, friend, without any doubt, nobody knows you when you're down and out. This kid, he's, he squandered his whole, his whole inheritance on partying. And he thinks he's got some friends. Because they're happy to be there when the wine's flowing, when, when the music's going, when you're staying up late at night. But as soon as he runs out of money and can't fund the party anymore, he's left alone by himself. And not only that, it's desperate times. And, and, G, and, and this boy's in a foreign land, by the way. And, and Jesus makes the point that his life gets so bad that this Jewish kid finds himself working at a pig farm. Now... This is another scandalous part of the story because as a Jew, you didn't, you didn't touch pork. You didn't get around pigs at all. They were considered unclean. His life gets so bad that not, not only does he go to work at a pig farm, he actually starts getting jealous of what the pigs are eating. In other words, Jesus is trying to make a point to the Pharisees. It's as low as you can think of. Like, you think working in a pig farm is low... But it's really low when you start envying what the pigs are eating. But at some point, this younger son, finally, he's just in the middle of desperation. He says, look, you know, I could go back and work for my father as a slave. And I'd be treated better than this. I'd at least have three squares of meals a day because my father treats his servants better than I'm being treated right now. Maybe I can go home. Maybe my dad won't take me back as a, as a son, but, but maybe he'll accept me as a slave. You ever do something as a kid that you were ashamed of, but you knew you had to tell your parents about? Like, maybe it was a bad grade on your report card. Maybe you did some vandalism in the neighborhood or something. And, and you knew that, that by the time Dad got home, he was going to find out. And you know that, that kind of waiting uh, to, to come to the light. It's, it's almost worse than the punishment itself, right? And I can imagine this younger son. He squandered all that was given to him. And he's taking this journey back home. And he's just rehearsing in his mind what he's going to tell his father. How am I going to explain what I did with all that he gave me? But even his shame at this point. Even his, his worry about what his father thinks is, is just overwhelmed by the just very basic need to survive. And we see that, that the son, uh, in the story, he, he, he shows up at his father's house, but he's still a long way off. And it said, the father was looking out the window. He saw him from a distance. First just a speck on the horizon. But then after a while, I can imagine as his son is walking towards him that he's, wait, wait, I know who that guy is. And it says the father, as soon as he recognized him, he began running out to meet him. Now, this kid probably stunk from working with pigs and not having a shower and being homeless. He's ashamed. He's got his head down. And it says that the father just ran out and embraced him before he could even get his excuses out. The father just embraced him, hugged him, crying, kissing and the son, he, he, he hasn't even got to the point, you know, of saying he was sorry. I think many times in, in evangelical 
churches in America, it's the, you know, it's like we try to get people to the point of realizing I'm a sinner and, and uh, I need to ask God for forgiveness. Man, this, this, this kid in this parable, he didn't get a chance to ask the father for forgiveness. The father just, I love you. I'm glad you're back. And then he, the son in the story, he starts saying, uh, Father, I've sinned against heaven and, and, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. And you get, when you read the story, read it, you, you'll see it's, it's kind of almost like the father's not listening to his excuses at all. The father just says, he doesn't even acknowledge the son's sin. He just says, put a robe on him. Get him new clothes. Put a ring on him. What's the ring mean in that culture? It means I'm restoring you to a place of authority. You're back in the family with all the privileges that you once had. There's no talk about, you know, the son's plan of trying to become a servant or anything. No, no, no. Put a robe on him. Put a ring on him. Let's have barbecue. He says, kill the fattened calf. Get a band. We're going to celebrate that this son who was lost is home again. This son who I thought was dead is now alive. So that's kind of where a lot of people leave the story. We're, We're so impressed by the love of the father here. And that is impressive. And yet, that's not the whole point of this story. We pick it up in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, look, all these years... I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother's brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. In this parable, we see two different ways, two kinds of estrangement from the father. The first one's kind of the obvious one, right? It's the one that the church focuses on a lot, right? I remember, you know, one of my first times to go down to Bourbon Street, seeing people out there with a cross that that had, you know, a a sign on it that said, repent and die. Repent and die. Repent. (laughs) (laughs) repent or die the idea is you bunch of sinners hanging out here on bourbon street you need to to be reconciled to god and there is the separation of god that comes from hedonism right some of you have been there before that's kind of the obvious way what's interesting about this parable though is really the big point of it is you can be a strength you can be in the house of the father and be estranged from the father by your own moralism You can show up at church every week. You can attend Bible studies. You can have all the right political views. You can have scriptures memorized. You can listen to life songs and still be estranged from God. You can be in the house and still not in relationship with the Father. This ought to 
perhaps give us a little pause. You, you, you mean it's not enough for me to just serve in church? It's not enough for, you know, I, I, the older brother, he was serving all the time, right? He was keeping good records of it too. Actually, when we meet the older brother, what's he doing? He's working out in the field. <laughs> and I can just imagine thinking, I've been out here working all day. I hear music, dancing. Is it a party for me? No, it's not a party for me. It's not a party for me after doing all this wonderful stuff for you all these years. It's a party for this loser of a brother that I have who just squanders everything. Don't even call him a brother. Act, absolutely, that's great. Don't even call him a brother. He's working in the father's house, but he's so caught up in his own stuff that he contributes that he realize, he, he doesn't even see that he's estranged from the father. What's the father tell him? Everything I have is yours. Dude, you want to have a you want to have a party? You can have a party anytime you wanted. You have access to everything that I have. And you don't see it. Because you're still focused on your own, what you're doing, my own serving. I'm just, I'm trying hard all these years. Nobody sees what I'm doing. And you ever been like that before? Yesterday. (laughs) This brings me back to the, I mean, the the, the whole point in Jesus' parable, if we go back to to what he says in, in Luke Fifteen. It was an answer to a question. Why does this Jesus eat dinner with tax collectors and sinners? And what's Jesus saying? Uh, <clears throat> older brother. The point of the parable is you guys are getting angry because Jesus is partying with a bunch of prodigal sons. He's, welco- he's, he's acting like the father in this parable. He's just loving on them. He's welcoming them in. He's treating them like family. He's, he sees them as reconciled to God. And these Pharisees, they're acting like the old brother. We study the Bible all the time. We're at the temple all the time. We make sure that everybody follows the rules. And what do we get? Jesus is telling them, you're the older brother here. But yet with Jesus, we see that he's in the father's house. And he also bears a resemblance to the Father. See, I think this is the point that we want to look at today with the words that Jesus says here in John 8. What father do you resemble in your Christian faith? Is it God or the other guy? In other words, is your faith in God making you look more like Jesus, like the father and the prodigal son? Because Jesus really, he is the, as it says in Colossians, he's the, the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Now, there's all kind of people in our culture who want to say that, you know, God hates America. God hates this group. God hates this group. Uh, but that that idea of God is detached from Jesus because when we see Jesus, we just see he loves people. Doesn't matter what they're into. He loves them extravagantly. He's not intimidated by them. He just gets right up in the middle of them. So the question I want to kind of look at today is how we, you know, the, the father and the, and the father God, And how we resemble him. 
Jesus was the perfect resemblance of the Father. Jesus is, is really the picture of the Father even in the prodigal son parable. So I want to kind of draw a few ideas out of the prodigal son parable and just ask us in our own lives, how are we resembling the father? The first mark is the father's generosity. You know, this was a mark of Jesus's ministry. He was generous. Now, maybe Jesus didn't have a whole lot of money. I've heard some prosperity teachers say, oh, yeah, he, Jesus was rich, man. He had all kinds of money. It doesn't seem like they're reading the same Bible I am. But, but we see that Jesus was extremely generous with himself, right? He was present. He gave of himself when he was with people. He was with them. He was generous with his time, his person. He was generous with his spiritual gifts. He was generous every time he went, some, you know, it's like feeding the 5,000, turning water into white. He was generous. One of the marks that, that we are in relationship with our Heavenly Father is we become more generous. And I'm not just talking about dropping a check in the, in the offering basket. I'm talking about we're generous. With, we're not holding on to everything. See, the, the Pharisees, the, the religious crowd, they were all about holding on, all about maintaining power, all about strictness. And Jesus was all about lavishness, giving. We resemble the Father through our generosity. Another thing we see in the parable is the father's joy and celebration. I just, I, I'm just overwhelmed. Like the father's just like, he doesn't, he doesn't hear the excuses. <laughs> he doesn't hear the, the self-hatred. He doesn't hear the shame. He, all he just, it does is just overwhelms the son with love. And then he celebrates. <laughs> How are we... When other people uh, that, that maybe aren't like us, that aren't so sensible, how are we when other people walk into the kingdom? When other people get blessed around us, are we, do, we, do we participate? Do we have joy? <laughs> or are we standing on the outside going, oh, I cannot believe that guy got blessed. You ever feel like that sometimes? Here I am. I'm I drop a check in every week at the church. I serve at the church. I try to do good things in my community. And then my neighbor, who's just, you know, leaves his multiple cars parked on his lawn, <laughs> wins the lottery. <laughs> it's unfair. You ever find yourself like that? I resent, resentful that you're trying the best to live a good life. And sometimes it seems like you just got bills you can't meet. Things that just keep happening. What we see in this parable is that the father, he, he, he is joyous. He celebrates goodness when it happens. And he's part of it. Another one is the father's love. And that's just kind of through and through this. I, I love, I love even, even the, how the father, knowing that his son is going to do stupid things with his money, he still blesses him. He still loves him. And he still welcomes him at the end. Jesus represents his father, uh, resembles his father in, in an amazing way. I, I think one of the most profound pictures in the New Testament is Jesus hanging on the cross. And some of his final words are, Father, forgive them. They don't even understand what they just did. Forgive them. I mean, I have a hard time forgiving people when they take my parking place at Winn-Dixie. <laughs> 
He's been tortured, beaten. He's hanging bloody with a crown of thorns on his head. And the very people who put them there, he extends forgiveness to them with his last dying breath. See, it's pretty amazing when you love people that are good to you. That takes a lot of effort. (laughs) But when you love enemies, when you love those who oppose you, when you love those who are of a different opinion about things than you, you are showing the Father's love. You're resembling the Father. Jesus actually said that himself. He says, dude, loving people that love you back, that doesn't take a lot of work. That's pretty easy. Loving your enemies, enemy love, that, that shows that you're children of your Father in heaven. That's a way that you resemble your heavenly Father. Finally, we see the, the Father's forgiveness. Again, Father's forgiveness is all tied up with joy and celebration and love. It's not like a separate attribute. It just all flows from the same place. The father welcomes his son. And see, the, 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 the interesting thing about this story is that we don't know how the older brother ends up. That's kind of the way Jesus leaves the parable. He leaves him hanging. We don't see the, the older brother say, oh, you're right. I do need to go into that party. I've been resentful. I've, I've been kind of work, you know, focused on my own work and everything. And I despise my brother. I'll come in and celebrate with you. We don't know what happened with the older brother. Jesus leaves it hanging. And so we see that you can stay in that place estranged from God in your own moralism, or you can receive the forgiveness of the Father. The, the, the good thing about the prodigal son, the good attribute of him, <laughs> is that when he's in the bottom of a pigsty, uh, he remembers <laughs> the Father. He, he comes to his senses and recognizes his own sin. And, and so really, for the younger son, he doesn't ever really get to adequately pray the sinner's prayer. <laughs> But he does come out of his own denial. He realizes that I'm cut off from my father and I'm going back. The older brother, he's there all along and he doesn't realize he's separated. He's living his own kind of hell, which is resentment, unforgiveness, anger. He's resembling a father all right, but it's not the father of his house. It's the other guy. The question we need to wrestle with this morning in our own hearts where are the places of estrangement from the Father in our own, our own hearts? I mean, maybe for you this morning, it's, you know, hedonism is not your, your big deal. You're not going down and going to strip clubs on Bourbon Street every week. Maybe you did last night. And that is a way to be separated from the Father. That road, that path of just giving yourself away to sex, drugs, addictions, it goes nowhere. It's not living. Maybe, maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there today and you, you feel separated from the Father. It's time to get back. But maybe, and I suspect for most of us in here, the attitude we probably struggle with as Christians is, is the older brother syndrome. Not having the Father's heart towards those who are outside of our little club. Not having the Father's heart for people who may be living very differently. Maybe, maybe 
even when we see people who are different than us or doing things that are sinful and getting blessed and we can't enjoy that at all. We can be estranged from God both by the obvious sinful things and the not so obvious things. So I just want to pause for a moment and just get quiet and just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal our hearts this morning. Where are we disconnected from? And how can you tell if you're disconnected from God in an area of your heart? Where is there resentment in your life? (laughs) Where is there bitterness? Where is there unforgiveness? Where is there anger building up? Because when those things begin to take over our lives, we're not resembling our Heavenly Father who's lavish and generous and joyous and full of love and forgiveness. We're resembling the Father of lies. The very ones who wanted to persecute Jesus. So let's just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us for a moment. Come, Lord. Come, Lord, and reveal reveal the Father's heart to us. Search me, Lord, know my heart. Try me and know my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the path that is everlasting. Lord, where is there hardness in our hearts, God? Whether towards outsiders or even towards other Christians, other churches, Lord, maybe places where we've gotten hurt. Lord, where is there hardness, God? Lord, by your spirit, by your grace, I pray that you would turn our hearts towards the Father this morning, God. Lord, that where we've been focused on our own efforts, maybe resentful that, that others are not doing what we're doing. Lord, maybe bitter instead of joyful when we see others getting blessed. God, we ask by your grace that you would free us from these things, Lord. We come to you, Lord. We say, take our lives, God. Take all that we are.
Lord, we just ask that anything in our lives that stands up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ, anything that stands against the will of the Father, against relationship with the Father in our lives, God, that that would be torn down right now, overwhelmed by your grace, your goodness. Lord, we speak to every lie that that, that wants to stand against the truth in our own hearts, God. Every, every lie that, that wants to keep us focused on our own performance or bound to our own addictions. And we come to you, Lord. And we see you as the parable shows of, of the Father that's running to us, that's not even listening to our excuses, but just lavishing your love upon us this morning, God. God, let that picture overwhelm every lie that would stand against it, Lord. Come, Lord. I want to say one last thing this morning that the temptation you hear a message like this is maybe I'm going to try harder to be like the father. <laughs> and, and, and you might find yourself back in that old pit of, of your own moralism again, your own just trying to make this happen. You know, you know the way that Jesus bears a resemblance to the father because he's in relationship to his father. It's a very organic process. We can't extend love to others if we don't know love ourselves. We can't extend grace to others if we haven't realized that grace for ourselves. We can't extend forgiveness to others if we haven't experienced the Father's forgiveness. We can't extend the joy of the Father to other people if we haven't experienced His joy over us. And I would say if, if, if you're, you're having a problem in having joy about other people... It's probably an indication that you don't see the Father's joy over you. So I would just say this morning, as we go into the coming week, read the prodigal son a, a few times. Camp out there and see the Father. See yourself as the prodigal son. See yourself as the older brother. But see the Father running to you. Ready to celebrate over you. See that. Let, and you might go, oh no, he wouldn't do that for me. He would. He does. He is. Let that truth set you free. And the other stuff, it'll happen too. All right, that's all I got to say about that.